0: and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. Every year in January around this time, we have a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday that is recognized across the nation in our churches. In other words, we recognize that the human life is set apart. It's valuable. It's precious. It's an important issue within our society because as we look at the different levels of threat that are against human life within our society, human life is not seen with the dignity that it needs to be upheld with. And we see that happening on many different fronts. We see that happening with like euthanasia, with more and more we're looking at rationing health for older people and assisted suicide, where the human life is degraded. The greatest place that we see that in is in the abortion industry. This is an issue that has taken millions upon millions of lives. In fact, the amount of lives that have been lost just in our country for the sake of abortion has eclipsed combining several wars all together all the fatalities in those wars do not keep up with the pace of abortion within our country as many have said this is our holocaust much of the world and much of our nation has turned a blind eye or even promoted to our disgrace and so it's something that we need to be willing to stand against and to be vocal about and not only just to be vocal, but to help in other ways as we see fit as well. And that's why we help support some of the things that our pro-life clinic up in the falls, Northern Options for Women uh, participates in. As we look at it here this morning, that's what we're going to consider is the sanctity or the sacredness of human life. And the sanctity of human life is seen uh, very clearly in this passage that we read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26-28. through 28. In this passage, we see that human life is seen as... Special, and that's what the sanctity is pointing out, that human life is special, and it seems special in two different things. The first thing is, it's seen as special in our role as image bearers. Why is human life so sacred? Why does it need to be so protected? It's because we bear within us the image of God. God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then a little farther down in the same passage, He says, so God created man... In His own image, in the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them. Our life is sacred because we bear the image of God. We are made in His image. We are the capstone of His creation. When you look at the six days of God's creation, He begins by making light and then creating the world and everything that is within it. And when He finally gets it all put together, then He creates us and He puts us in it. And we're the only part of His creation that it says that we were made in His image. Now, as Adam and Eve went on from there and rebelled against God, and we have the fall, obviously the image of God is diminished within us to a certain extent. But it is clearly still there. It is tainted by sin, but it is still there. That's why James would tell us that with the mouth that we praise God with, the same mouth should not go on to curse people who were then made in God's image. And so obviously, even up into the New Testament times and today, We still bear the image of God, and that is why our life is so valuable. We see another demonstration of that later on in Genesis, when you get to Genesis chapter 9. By this time, the world has plunged deep into sin, and God has decided to judge the world, which he did with a flood. And when God brings the judgment of the flood, he rescues one man and his family, Noah. And at the end of the flood, he brings the ark back to rest on dry ground. And at this point, if you remember the description of mankind before God flooded the earth, the description was that they were their thoughts were only evil continually and also only violent continually and so what god does is he introduces something new in chapter 9 now it is important to recognize where this falls because in chapter 9 in verses 5 through 6 god has just got done telling man that now The animals are going to be for you for food. He put the fear of man and animals so that we wouldn't be able to wipe them all out because hunting would be too easy. And he told mankind that now you're going to start eating animals. Now, in contrast to that, in verses 5 and 6, we find people. People are not just another animal. We are human beings made in the image of God. Of course, there is some similarity between us and different animals within the animal kingdom because we live in the same environment and we have the same creator. So are there going to be some similarities? Of course, but human beings are not just another mammal. We are made distinct, and the distinctions are enormous. Often we think of the similarities between humans and the animal kingdom because of the few things that we have in common. But think of the things that are vastly different. Look at how we design our homes and build them. Look at how we invent things. Look at how we show concern for one another with medical technologies and starting emergency systems. Look at how we can create. Look at how we have museums full of art in theaters full of movies and plays, shelves lined with books, some just for purely entertainment purposes, others for teaching and instruction, for bettering our lives. These are all amazing things that you find nowhere within the animal kingdom because we're human beings made in the image of God. Well, in Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, right after giving permission to kill and eat the animals, about people it says, and for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Because humanity had become so violent previously, God now starts to bring in external restraints. What you could say that we were governed by before that time was conscience. When Cain, before he killed his brother Abel, God appealed to Cain's conscience. You know what is right? But if you refuse to do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to master you. We were governed just by our conscience, but our conscience could not keep us peaceful and godly. But now at this point, God brings around human government the first time that external pressures would try to dictate our behaviors. And the way that he does that, first of all, is through capital punishment. Human life is to be sanctified. It's to be special. It's to be Precious, And the reason it's to be precious is because it's made in the image of God. And because we bear that image and have that sanctity of human life, that God gave the severest of penalties for this crime. If you take a human life, and there are exceptions, of course, within Scripture, and not all killing is murder, right? Law enforcement agencies, the Bible tells us, they do not bear the sword in vain. They have the right to carry lethal armament to enforce the law. Military and acts of war. Though not all war is just, nations going to war have the right to make those decisions. So any soldier on the battlefield is not culpable of murder, though he may take a life or many lives. Self-defense, that is not murder either. But when it comes to murder, the taking of an innocent human life, that would have the severest of penalties. The man sheds a man's blood by man, so he gives mankind the authority to carry out this punishment. So the government has the authority to put to death Those who murder other people. As he would go on, and Moses would give us the law in Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 17, he would say, Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. You get into a little bit more of the specifics of it when you get to Numbers chapter 35 verses 30 and 31. It says, If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses, but no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. So it has to be a very fair trial. Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. And so on the one hand, he says we're going to go to great lengths to make sure the trial is fair to guarantee that that person actually is a murderer that has wrongfully taken a human life. But... When that verdict is rendered, it says no price can be paid, only the price of that murderer's life. Nobody gets away with this one. Why that most severest of penalties? Because they've taken a life that is made in the image of God that is precious in His sight and ought to be within ours. Now, what, what does this have to do with abortion? Well, abortion is very clearly the taking of a life. We know two very clear things about a baby in the womb. We know that from the moment of conception, But there is life there. From the very moment of conception, the entire genetic code is present in that baby. Nothing will be added to it. It will develop, but it will not be added to. I remember listening to a guy give a demonstration on this a few years ago, and he contrasted it to making a car. He says, if you go to an automotive manufacturer and you watch a car be assembled, you can legitimately ask the question, at what point along the line is it an automobile? Does it have to have the full thing with fenders and everything else? Does it just have to have the frame and drivetrain? Tires? Well, at what point does that car become a car and not just a bunch of parts, a bunch of nuts and bolts? He said But on the other hand, an individual, a person, is very different from that. Because at the very moment of conception, everything that is required is already present. The only things that are needed are time, nourishment, oxygen. Actually, the same things that you need to continue your life today. So no change. And so everything is already present in that tiny little baby on the the, the very moment of conception within that womb. Now he's going to develop. He's going to develop a heartbeat, and he's going to develop fingerprints within about eight weeks. He's going to develop a sense of feeling pain within 12 to 13 weeks. He's going to develop a lot of these things, but everything was already present from the very beginning. Nothing gets added. And I would like to add that the burden of proof is on the people that would like to take that life. If we're dealing with whether or not this is a life, whether or not this is a person, you ought to have to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is not a person. The burden of proof lies there. We shouldn't have to prove that it is a life, is a person, because of the gravity of the decision. But when you look at it, what do we know? We know that genetically, 100% of that individual is already present at the moment of conception. We know that at the moment of conception, that is a life. And we know that it is a human life. It's not some other kind of life. Then that life is sacred. That life is made in the image of God, and thus that life ought to be protected. The Bible specified it as being protected within the womb as well. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 25, it says, "When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine." So if you hit a pregnant woman and it causes her to give birth, but everybody's fine. Mom is fine through it. The babies are fine through it. You're still going to pay a price. We'll leave it to the judges and the father to figure out what that price is. You're still going to pay a price, but it'll end there. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And so the baby actually gets the same protection that the mother would get. Eye for an eye, burn for burn, life for life. So the baby in the womb is just as precious to God and ought to be just as precious to us as any life that is outside of the womb. You know, we see these kinds of intimations also. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. In Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, The psalmist says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And we see evidence of it even in the birth of our Savior. When Mary was pregnant with Jesus and she goes to visit Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, Now I know that is is obviously a special birth because the Savior of the world is coming into the into the world, and you could argue that there were miraculous things happening around his birth that don't happen with just everybody's birth, and that's very true. But you know which one of us here hasn't had our hand on on a pregnant belly and felt that baby kick or move? Which other one of us here hasn't seen an ultrasound picture where you can watch that little baby suck their thumb? Right? I remember when. Lisa would be pregnant with our kids just being astounded and watching. Sometimes her, her belly would be like lopsided like this. And then seeing it go whoop and move and it would be lopsided the other direction and you're just like, wow, how did you not throw up? You know, it's, like, it's just amazing. And they get active and they kick and their elbows are going. And man, for the years that they were lying to everybody and some of them still do and tell you, oh, that's just tissue in there. Baloney if that's tissue in there. I wouldn't recommend it, but I've seen an ultrasound of an abortion and it's horrible. That child is trying to run. In fact, there's, there's one that was produced many years ago that changed one guy from an abortion doctor into a huge pro-life advocate because he's the one that did the abortion that was ultrasounded and he watched it afterwards and it completely changed his frame of thinking about it. And it's called the silent scream. And it's called that because you can see that baby screaming. The only difference is you can't hear it. Micheline M. Matthew Roth of Harvard University. This was in 1981, so this has been a while back. And we've only developed more technology. So we know more now than we did then. And notice what he says in this Senate subcommittee. And nobody contradicted it. It said in biology and in medicine, it is an accepted fact that life of any individual organism produced by sexual reproduction begins at conception or fertilization. The French geneticist, Jerome Lejeune, said to accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. The human nature of the human being from conception to old age is not a metaphysical contention. It is plain experimental evidence. Dr. Jaime Gordon said, but now we can say unequivocally that the question of when life begins is no longer a question for theological or philosophical dispute. It is an established scientific fact. Theologians and philosophers may go on to debate the meaning of life or the purpose of life, but it is an established fact that all life, including human life, begins at the moment of conception. We bear the image of God from the moment we are conceived within the womb. And to take that life is to take a human life that bears the image of God, a sacred life. And to do so is absolutely wrong. We also see the sanctity of human life not only in our role as image bearers, but also in our responsibility as managers. Because notice what else the passage goes on to say. He gives to human beings something he gives to nothing else. And that is the authority to manage the world that we live in. It says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then it says in verse 28, "...and God said to them, Be fruitful multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth." And so God takes those of us made in His image, the human beings, and He gives us authority over the rest of His creation. Why? Well, because the chickens in the coop aren't discussing global warming. And the fish in the rivers, though it would dramatically affect them, aren't weighing in on how many limits should be in the fishing regulations. And neither are the deer in the woods. Why? They don't have that ability because they're not made in the image of God. They're not these rational creatures that God has made us into being in His image. And so God has given us the ability and the responsibility of exercising dominion. We need to have organizations and inputs onto how many fish you can take home from the river or the lakes or how many deer you can shoot in a harvest. Otherwise, all those things will go the way of the buffalo. And we certainly don't want that. We need to have our influence on the different things that happen within society and within the world that we live. That is the responsibility that God has given to us to fulfill those things. But you know what? Part of that responsibility also is making sure that we maintain a just society where all of human life is protected, where we're watching over the least of these. Those that are screaming that you cannot hear need to be protected in our civil society. And that is our responsibility as well. I find it interesting that in my conversations with different people the logic or sometimes lack of it that is used. I remember one time talking to a friend of mine that is pro choice and he told me, he said, Don't get me wrong, Greg, he says, I I hate abortion. He says I would never participate in abortion. I want nothing to do with abortion. I think it's horrific. But you know what? I don't feel like I have the right to speak into somebody else's life to make that decision for them. I said, Well let me ask you this. I said, when do you think life begins? You just went through a process of watching your child be born. Is your child not a child until the moment they were born? Where does life begin? And I was actually surprised when he said, you know, I never really thought about that. Because in my mind, I'm like, if you're going to think about this issue at all, how do you not think about that? That is the crux of the matter. Are you killing somebody or are you not killing somebody? And then I asked him, I said, what's the difference? Let's say at the moment your daughter was going to be born. A day after your daughter is born, can you take that life? Well, no, that's murder. Well, what about the day before they're born? The only difference in that one individual is two days. If they came out of the mother's womb, they would live just like they did two days later. They would be just as healthy, just as fine. This one's okay to kill, but that same one, two days later, not okay to kill. Where's the logic? A couple of years ago on Facebook, there was a thing that came across, and, and it said, I am not for abortion, but I am for, and then it started listing names. I am for Susie, who got pregnant as a teenager, and, and may not get to go to college or I'm for this person that was raped and pregnant with a child I'm for this person that has health conflicts, I'm for this person and they had a a different name, Susie, Diane Jenny, for all these different women which of course is just made up they just pick common names that everybody knows and then they make all these scenarios for it and they went through it and in the end you end up reading through all these people that were pregnant in hard circumstances or some tragic circumstances and In the end, you were left to feel, well, these poor women, what about them? And I'm with you on that. I I do think these poor women are in hard circumstances. Uh, To be honest, I think you also need to make a decision in there which of them were there by kind of their own bad choices that led to those things and which ones weren't. And I think you also need to hold the man accountable. But in the end, they're in hard circumstances and that's exactly right. But you know what? The logic doesn't follow through. And here's why. Because I could make another identical set of stories with a whole different outcome. Because you see all these people that are pregnant in hard times, and some of them much harder than others, all still have a very good chance of having a very satisfying life. Will it be hard for somebody, an unwed teenager, to finish school, if they have their baby, finish school and go on even to college and stuff? Yeah, it'll be hard. But is it impossible? No. Will they get more out of the experience because of the hardship? Uh, Yeah, guaranteed. But they still have a lot of uh, opportunity available to them. But you know what, if you went through and you picked out some new names and you started this story over, and you say, for this, I feel bad for her little Susie because, you know, she could have grown up to be a nurse or a doctor or little Johnny because he could have grown up to be the President of the United States. Or I feel bad for you little Daniel because he would have got to experience what it was like to fall in love and get married and have children and then grandchildren and watch them grow up. And you could make a whole list of different scenarios and even the same scenarios and then come to the end of the list and say, you know what? I feel sorry for this whole group of people. You want to know why? Because they never got to draw one breath because their mother killed them. Which one's actually worse? The person that has gotten into some hard situations but still gets to work their way out of it or the person who was dismembered while still in their mother's womb. And so that little emotional story... Now, I do think we need to be touched with the emotion of it because there are women that are making the the choice and keeping their children and they need support and they need help. But you know what? We also got to protect the ones that are yet in the womb. And so we need to be clear about what this is too and what exactly is involved in this decision, which should should not really be a decision. I was involved in a short conversation about abortion on a social media outlet. And somebody responded to me and they said, the system is already overwhelmed. When you look at people having to deal with children that are unwanted children, the system is already overwhelmed. There's a lot of arguments that could be made, okay? I don't know that I agree that the system is overwhelmed. I think people are lined up to adopt people. It's hard to get a a child to adopt these days. And so I think there's a lot of different avenues and social things that come into that, but uh, I don't want to go into all that right now. But this is one thing that stood out to me. This person said, I need to be in favor of abortion because the system is already overflowing with children. That person just proved my point. How did they prove my point? Because that person is saying the system has too many kids in it. But I guarantee you, that person will not say, because the system has so many kids in it, we need to start getting rid of some of these kids. They won't go there. So then why? The kids, they're already present within the wombs of their mom. Why do we go there with them? If we're not so horrible of people as to say, we're going to start thinning out the crowd on how many kids are there because the system is overwhelmed, why are we thinning them out within the womb of the mother? It's still a child in there. That's not not an argument. If If there's a pregnancy, you are a mom. If there's a pregnancy, you are a dad. That is a life. And it is a human life. And it's your son or daughter's human life. But it continues to be pointed to us as being the right. Tell me one place in our whole society where you have the right to take another human life because of convenience or expediency to you. There is not another place. And that's exactly what's happening. This whole idea about it being for the health of the women is a bunch of nonsense. And we have a really great comparison of this if you look across the pond. Because Europe actually has, within Ireland, the baby inside the womb is, is constitutionally protected. But in the UK, you can get abortions on demand. The maternal death rate in the UK is five times the maternal death rate of Ireland. Five times. Ireland has the lowest maternal death rate in the world turns out pregnancy and childbirth is actually a pretty healthy thing. In fact, you can go back a couple of attorneys general before when when Everett C. Coop was in place a couple of decades ago. He said he was not aware of one time when a baby's life would need to be taken to save the life of a mother. And especially with all the technology that we have today. In fact, it's interesting in Ireland uh, they have what's called the Dublin Declaration and this is uh, back in I think it was 2019. Over a thousand doctors put together this statement. And these are OBGYNs. They said, As experienced practitioners and researchers in obstetrics and and gynecology, we affirm that direct abortion, the purposeful destruction of the unborn child, is not medically necessary to save the life of a woman. We uphold that there is a fundamental difference between abortion and necessary medical treatments that are carried out to save the life of the mother. Even if such treatment results in the loss of life of her unborn child, we confirm that the prohibition of abortion does not affect in any way the availability of optimal care to pregnant women. They said this is not a conflict. Saving a woman's life never comes down to you have to take that child's life in order to save that woman's life. We we see the same thing in our country. In in our country, um, obviously, abortion is much more not only accepted but prom- promoted. In certain cases, in fact, even within our congregation, we have examples of people that were told that their child was going to have something severely wrong and doctors pushing them toward abortion, which they refused, and their child came out completely normal, nothing wrong with them at all. But, you know what, even within our society, there's a guy, his name's in my mind right now, but he works at, uh, at Auburn Medical Center out in, in New York, the state of New York, I believe. And that's his specialty is dealing with pregnant women in severe medical issues, cancers, heart issues, all kinds of things. He has saved hundreds and hundreds of women's lives, and not once. He said, has there ever been a time where you need to take the life of the infant in order to save the life of the mother? This is just not a reality. And so when we, in our responsibility before God, think through these things, the reality is, within our society, that these are what the percentages break down to. The women asked in this case that were getting abortions, they were asked what are the reason or reasons for your abortion. So you're going to find that if you add these up, obviously if you have one that's 74% and one that's 73%, you have some, some people are giving more than one reason at a time. But notice, all the women that get abortions because a victim of rape is actually less than 1%. It just so happens that rape is a very traumatizing thing, so a lot of times even if it happens to hit within the right time of the cycle of a woman, it's so traumatic that it doesn't produce pregnancies. There are times that it does obviously 1% of them uh, that's the reason that they're giving. We, when we were going to church back in Washington there was a family within that church that the wife was raped one day and they, they kept the child and made the child part of their family. Why? Because the child's innocent. It's still a child that's half of her makeup. If you want to put somebody to death you want to start talking about the rapist uh, well, there's a case to be made for that but for the infant they didn't do anything wrong. I don't think that it saves the woman a lot of anguish by killing that baby either. Because the, the woman knows what's going on. She knows what's happening. No matter whether she wants to buy into the, well, it's just tissue or whatever excuse they give her, she knows know what's going on. And so there's guilt and there's all kinds of emotional struggles and trauma, I think way more than you get within a, within a pregnancy. But notice, pregnancy is a result of incest, 0.5%. Most of them come from what? I've completed my childbearing. I've already decided to come to an end and I didn't want any more, so I'm not going to let this one live. Don't want to be single or having relationship problems. It's just not a good time for us that way, so the child has to pay the price. Can't afford a baby right now. Seventy-three percent gave that answer. Seventy-four percent, having a baby would dramatically change my life. It's true. I think the abortion's going to affect it in some ways too. Not the good ones, but... Those are the reasons that are given. And so when it comes right down to it, in our country, with these being the reasons that are given, you can see that almost every reason for an abortion is because it's not convenient right now. It's not what I want right now. I had a friend one time in the past that it was actually his ex-wife at the time, but somebody was pregnant and she got an abortion because she was pregnant with twins and she only wanted one. So she decided to kill them both and start over. That's horrible. That's horrible. The only reason it's allowed to go on because you don't actually see it. Life is sacred. Not just my life is sacred. All life is sacred. And for a woman to say, my body, my right, it's not her body that we're talking about. You see, within her body is another body. That body has a different genetic code than hers. It got half of it from her, but half of it from the Father. It has a different genetic code. About half the time, it has a different sex. Often, a different blood type. It's going to grow up to be a very different individual because it already is a different individual. We're not arguing about some piece of tissue that's part of her body. We're talking about an individual that is within her body. All of life is sacred. Why? All human life. Because human life bears the image of God. It also is that life which God commissioned to be responsible for how things work on this planet that He created. And it is our responsibility to make sure that justice prevails within our society and that the innocent are protected